morning, everybody. Happy, if that's the word, uh, last day to raise the Titanic Day. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by The Mirror's assistant editor, Jason Beatty. Good morning, Jason. Morning, Susie. Welcome from a happy, sunny East London. Yes, you're in the office. I'm in I'm my office. That's because my, my internet has gone down yet again at home. <laughs> it is a bit of a relief, I've got to say, when we do these things, your internet is quite often a bit patchy. Quite often I'm talking and then we'll suddenly see you back again, you're in a completely different room. You've gone to try to sort of stand on one leg and hold your breath and hope the internet works. A special yeah. good morning to Virgin Customer Care. Or customer <laughs> yeah. Hello, Virgin. Now, this is the paper review so get into the comments ask us your questions whether it's about virgin customer care or something that's in the news those of you listening later on podcast are just going to have to bang on the walls and hope somebody hears you so what have we got for you today well the mirror has splashed on news that those missing on the submarine exploring the wreck of the titanic includes one of the king's friends a board member of the prince's trust no less and we're hearing this morning that sounds have been heard from the area that it is thought to have disappeared in. So more on that in a bit. But first, I want to go to page eight, where it is revealed that calls to strip two of the Tories who were honoured after their attendance at a lockdown busting bash might get their baubles taken away from them. Jason, can you take us through this? Who are we talking? Remind us who we're talking about and why do we think they would actually lose them? So um, this was a party held uh, to mark the end of Sean Bailey's unsuccessful campaign to be London mayor. The invitation was, on, uh, was for, to jingle and mingle. Um, and then the mirror later found, we first we exposed the, the still photograph you just seen, but then we got the video of them part, partying and dancing and going, oh, let's hope you don't get caught because this could be illegal. Yeah, so there they are dancing around, yeah. Um, now, one of the people in the video, the guy just seen here with the braces, is called Ben Mallet. He was given a gong in Boris Johnson's resignation honours list. Um, not present in the video um, is Sean Bailey, the unsuccessful candidate who's been put up for a peerage. Now, the whole thing is stinks from the beginning, of, which is why Boris Johnson was allowed to have a resignation honours list in the first place. Yeah, was um, was you know it was uh, waved through in almost in full by by Rishi Sunak two days before the Privileges Committee report came out, which said this guy's a liar. He's lied to MPs. He's lied to the committee. Worse than that, he tried to orchestrate a campaign of abuse and intimidation against those holding him to account. That's the behaviour of somebody we then give the right to give honours to, which is extraordinary. Yeah. Um, so now, obviously, there's quite a lot of hand-wringing amongst the Conservatives who are saying, hmm, maybe this should be looked at. Um, the mechanism for stripping of honours is it goes to the Forfeiture Committee, mm -hmm. led by a senior civil servant. We're already in the realm of Sir Humphrey here. Yeah, and the, all the senior civil servants are a sir, <laughs> have baubles themselves, so... Yeah. It's very much a case of trying to take it back from your mate, isn't it? So um, what we've got here then, because we, Sean Bailey, he was the mayoral candidate and mm -hmm. he was also on the London Assembly and he was chairman of the Police and Crime Committee. And he had to resign when we published or us and the mm -hmm. Times published information about this party existing in the first place. Mm -hmm. Four people apparently were disciplined about this party, but the police never took any action. 
Now, the police are investigating our video. Well, they've asked for it and are looking at it. Same as everybody else on the Internet, only a bit later than everybody else. Um, and presumably they are going to find there is enough evidence now to prosecute because people are dancing and mingling beneath a poster that says two metres social distance. And on this particular day, London was in tier two. There was no indoor mixing allowed. It's a flat, fairly obvious criminal offence. At midnight on this day, there'd just been a press conference saying the next day it was going into tier three and it was going to be more serious. The pods would be shut and everything else. So it's sticky. If, let's say, Sean Bailey were to get a fixed penalty notice for this. Now, I just looked at the rules of the forfeiture committee, which Judy on Twitter has sent me. Thanks, Judy. Okay. And um, it very kindly says, you know, if someone's committed a criminal offence, they can have, before or after being a peer, they can have their, their lordship taken away. But is it going to be taken away for a fixed penalty notice? That's the thing. So I just looked up the list of people who've had their um, um, honours uh, stripped by the Fortress Committee. It was only How eight. Long is it? Eight! Eight! <laughs> yeah. Eight! Um, that's eight since 1916. So the first guy was, was Roger Casement, who was a, a, quite an interesting character, um, who, who, who was um, basically killed for treason, um, for standing up for the Irish nationalists. Um, in 1916. Um, others on the list are Harvey Weinstein. You can understand why they may want to take his award away. Um, Lester Piggott. Um, uh, so there's not very many of them. Um, Fred Goodwin, remember him? Fred Shred, the yeah. former Bank of Scotland guy. He lost his knighthood in 2012. Um, and the boxer Nassim Hamad. So, oh, Anthony Blunt, you know, the spy who was the Queen's yeah. creator of paintings. But not very many of them. And well, that's an average of one two, every two of those. Two of those were done for treason, which is probably a slightly greater offence than a fixed penalty notice. So you can you can see that the the the, the, the hurdle of what they deem as 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 improper behaviour is quite high. Yeah. Now, what do you think, everybody? Do you think these honours should be revoked? And not just that, because I think we probably all do. But do you think mm. they're going to be revoked? Because you know, Sean Bailey. What there's got to bear in mind the names on this honours list that Boris did get through, they were the cleanest ones. <laughs> they were the ones that the House of Appointments Committee didn't go, oh my god, no, 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 not having them. Right. Yeah. So they were the ones that the House of Lords appointment thought would just about get through. Now Sean Bailey is a failed parliamentary candidate on two occasions. He's a failed mayoral candidate. Um he had a charity that sort of disappeared in sort of financial uh, misspending. And he's not exactly got what you call a stellar career. Why he was considered to be an adornment to the House of Lords and the upper chamber is kind of a bit beyond me in the first place. But you know, the fact he got appointed. And if he gets if he gets a fixed penalty, he had to resign from that police and crime committee because he knew it was illegal, even though he left before the video was filmed. If he gets a fixed penalty notice, he's just going to pay the whatever it is, 100 quid, and go quiet for a year or two, isn't he? And then sort of come back again. And if you think about it, you know, both these men could hand back their honours. Ben Mallet could hand back his OBE. And let's face it, anybody who works in Tory HQ and wears red braces, Jason, is probably going to the House of Lords anyway, eventually. He <laughs> the OBE, does he? Right? Um, and secondly, and Sean Bailey, he's sort of stuck with the period. He can't throw it back, I don't think, but he can just not use it. He cannot claim it and he cannot go to the House of Lords. But when we've got Geoffrey Archer in the House of Lords, Jason, you know, someone convicted and served a criminal 
um, sentence for perjury, what hope is there that someone who merely went to an illegal party and left before it got completely mad and had to resign afterwards will be will be considered somehow unclean by the yeah. forfeiture committee? That's not going to happen, is it? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's slightly ironical. I mean, it, 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 if Bailey and and Ben Mallet had any honour, they wouldn't have accepted the honour. Which, no. <laughs> um, but they, it appears they are going to. Um, I mean, the whole House of Lords just needs abolishing. It's that simple. I mean, we, we shouldn't have a position where, you know, a prime minister at whim can just appoint, you know, cronies, lickspittles, donors, you know, hairdressers, you name it, just just to, to, to have honours. who happen to be blonde. Yeah, and then allow, give people the right for life mm -hmm. to set and make and vote for and against our laws. And, and that seems to me kind of, you know, that appeared in any other country would deplore it as a travesty of democracy. And, it, and in Britain, it seemed as some sort of kind of quaint, kind of noble tradition. I mean, it's, just, it's bonkers. It's mad, Susie. I mean, why do we allow this? We should, have elected, we should have an elected upper chamber, which is accountable to people. And, and there's no justification for having the second largest, second legislature in the world after China of 800 people. It's mad. Of course it is. But every prime minister is stuck in this position, aren't they? They, get, they come into power, they need to get legislation through the upper chamber, and the only way to do it is to put some of their own lickspittles in to overrule the other lickspittles for the previous person. So they, they get, it's a catch-22 situation. And there are quite a few peers who do work, who are there to, you know, who are scrutinising, who are providing expertise, who are earning their money and doing a good, solid job. I mean, who would object to Doreen Lawrence, the mother of Stephen Lawrence, being in the House of Lords and but, saying this is what equality should be? You know, th there is are, a purpose to some of that. There are dozens of other countries which have elected second chambers, which are also filled with good people who do good work yeah, and scrutinise legislation properly, but they are accountable. Yes, <laughs> we we have a situation where a thirty-year-old who seemed to have done almost nothing in her life apart from spend a brief time in Downing Street with Boris Johnson is going to the House of Lords, and she'll be there for life, and she can claim three hundred pounds a day for doing it. Mm. Yeah? And, and why is that justifiable? I can understand why some people, you know, they're not politicians. And going through the election process may just be something that's not going to work as far as they're concerned for different reasons. But I can understand why you might want to appoint some people to the House of Lords. But I do think, why isn't there a fixed term? Why don't we say, yes, Doreen Lawrence, this person, that person, um, you know, Lord Sugar, whatever it is, be, they would be of use. They've got 10 years. And then after that, they've done their bit, you know, that it, it rolls. It's not for life. It's the whole, it, yeah. it, that is a hangover from the life peerage thing, from the aristocracy. And that's one of the bits you have to abolish is the fact that it must happen for life. That's just, no, you don't get £300 a day for life because you were a lollipop lady, even though a lollipop lady might be better at the job than some of the people in the House of Lords. So why do they get it? You know, there is reform needed, isn't there? Yep. Quite plainly. Yeah. And Keir Starmer has said he's going to reform it, but he's going to be in this position when he comes into power, Jason, of uh, a, the House of Lords, an upper chamber that is filled with Tory peers, some of them very friendly with Boris Johnson and Dan Grateful to have got under the wire. No doubt some of Liz Truss's mates as well by the time we get to uh, Starmer. He's going to have to appoint some of his own cronies, isn't he, to get legislation through. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, but, but the attitude in Labour is, is, is you know, you, if they get into power next year, that they're going to have such a backlog of, of important legislation to get through. They really don't want to get snarled up in Lords of Form, which I kind of have some sympathy for. And at the same time, as you say, there's an imbalance there because the majority of members of the House of Lords are, are Conservative. Um, you know, there's about 100 more Conservative peers than our Labour ones, which means he probably couldn't get any legislation through unless he actually puts more Labour peers there. I, I mean, but I, my attitude is... It, Yes, I get that, but wouldn't it be better just to kind of also at the same time bring in legislation to say we're going to just like reduce the number of peers and, you know, we'll cap it at like a, a reasonable number, but what's the 650 kind of MPs, why not cap it at 400 maximum lords and, and, and then rework the balance from there? Wouldn't yeah. take that. And every time you need to put a new one, it's one in, one out. That, well, I'd, I'd, go, I'd go one in, two out. And, and if they haven't spoken in the last five years, they shouldn't be there at all. Yeah, I do think they should. When they when they go in there and look and say, "How are we going to reform this?" The first thing is retrospectively, yeah. who's actually turned up for the last six years? Right, you go. Yeah. You're off. Yeah. Sorry, don't care who you are. You're off, and start from there. But we'll have to see, won't we? I do expect if he if he does come into power and has to load a load of Labour peers in there, he's going to get accused of going back on a promise to reform. So he's going to have to try to do the two things at the same time. Um, the Public Administration and Constitutional Affairs Select Committee has decided they're going to. Um, have a probe into who gets to be a member of the House of Lords and how the appointment process works. Good luck with that one. Um, <laughs> it's about as obscure as it needs to be, as Humphrey wants it to be. And also uh, the current Tory party chairman, Greg Hands, the man who keeps tweeting that there's no money left. Uh, that old letter from Labour days. Uh, apparently he was in charge of Sean Bailey's mayoral campaign. So he should have been aware of that party. Was he aware? I'm sure there'll be some questions asked. Mike says... Thank you, Mike. Questions must be asked of Greg Hand, who was in charge of the Bailey mayoral campaign. Was he there? If not, he must have known about the party. He should at least have known that there was a catering invoice because it was his responsibility to handle the funds. So <laughs> questions there for him. Uh, now, we need to move on to the big story of the day, which is gripping half the world, which is the disappearance of a deep sea submarine carrying wealthy adventure tourists off the coast of Newfoundland where they were on a five-day trip to view the wreck of the Titanic. Now, we're reporting here, Jason, that aside from the pilot and the CEO of the company, who I suppose technically are the steerage passengers, the other three passengers are all British, and one of them's just a teenager, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, so last night they had, what, 40 hours left of, of oxygen? How much, how much have I got left now, Susie? My maths is pretty awful. About it's a day. Less a than day. That. So, I mean, I, you don't even want to try and imagine the terror if they're still alive they are going through in a very small space uncertain if they'll get rescued we're not sure what went wrong we um it, it's kind of you know that that sense of kind of like kind of of claustrophobia they must be feeling and panic is it's absolutely terrifying mm. um I, I am kind of you know but there was a great story in, 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 in the mirror on the next two pages after, after the main report of this, this guy who was trapped in a submarine off the coast of Ireland in the 1970s and survived. And he kind of says, you know, don't give up hope. He, they had something like this 14 minutes there left by the time they surfaced. No, Oof, you can. I mean, sorry, 1973. I mean, it was just, you know, that, that gives you a little bit of kind of, of optimism that, you know, it's not over till it's over. But you do worry about, Kind of the 
the safety of it, this this craft Titan, the fact that it's kind of controlled by a, a games console set. <laughs> yeah, and they've got some practice some building pipes that operate as ballast tanks, and yeah. it's an experimental craft, and so on and so forth. I mean, the, the, it's it's almost it's really like the Titanic itself, I think, because the CEO's on there, which of course Bruce Ismay was on the Titanic when it sank, although he made his escape. Um, so I've just had to watch the film with my daughter. So I'm so, <laughs> full of Titanic stuff, um, and only the elite could really afford to do it. So you, by definition, you know, it attracts the great and good. You know, Titanic went down. They had Rothschilds on there. There was John Jacob Astor. There was W. T. Steads, who's the greatest journalist of his generation, former uh, editor of the Pall Mall Gazette. And now we've got a billionaire, we've got a multimillionaire, perhaps people some of us had never heard of before but their dads their husbands their family men with relatives all waiting for news just as relatives did in 1912 when the titanic hit the iceberg in exactly the same spot i mean it uh it doesn't really bear thinking about how cold they must be as well down there it's not there's no sunlight there's no nothing they must be perishing and trying to conserve what little oxygen they've got now what do you think everybody i'm sure there are people out there who are um pouring over every second and every update of this and have opinions about how likely it is they're going to be found. It does seem we're hearing this morning that their reports and sounds have been heard on the ocean floor. Rhythmic banging, presumably the SOS uh, Morse code. Uh, a Canadian search and rescue plane has picked them up every half an hour. So one assumes it's someone inside the craft banging on the sides to help people locate them. Sound travels a long, long way underwater. So that is the best way to be found. And if they're doing it every half hour, Jason, that implies that they're trying to conserve their energy. They're keeping that maybe they'll have a bit longer than expected because they're not they're staying calm. They're not going mad. That, and yeah, I mean, um, the other way of looking at it is it's actually quite roaring, but it hasn't risen to the surface. Mm. Um, the, the, the ballast tank should have emptied so it could gently rise up. Um, if it's on the, surf, the bed of the, the ocean floor, that's much more frightening, um, primarily because this is about the only submarine in the world which can go that deep. Um, most of the rescue submarines, um, you know, will only go to kind of 6, 600 meters. This is, you know, this is almost three, three to 4,000 meters. That is the real worry because then it makes the whole rescue operation much harder. Yeah, and the, the bottom of the ocean floor there is really craggy as well, apparently, so they could be wedged between things. If they haven't been able to open the ballast tanks, it implies they're either they're either yeah. stuck, something is holding them down, or they yeah. have lost power some way, they're not able to but, actually operate the tanks. Yeah, I mean, there is a bit to me, Susie, as well, which does feel, and I get the drama of the story, and I totally understand the fears and how, and how difficult this must be for the families involved. There was a little bit of me like, this is this massive multinational rescue operation taking place for, for, for six very privileged tourists. Um, and we kind of almost do nothing when kind of a, a boat goes down in, in the Mediterranean or the Channel with, with, with you know, dozens of, of asylum seekers and refugees escaping a much harder life. And I just sometimes feel the contrast needs to be made. <laughs> yes, I think so. I wonder what we would be doing if this was a if refugees were coming across the Mediterranean and submarine and it got lost. Yeah, I suspect not quite as much money in it, but hopes for the for the best and for the salvation of Stockton Rush, who is the pilot. Hamish Harding, one of the British businessmen who's on there, Shazada Dawood and his son Suleiman, who's only 19 and uh, Paul Henry. Um, 
uh, Paul Henry Nargelet, uh, who's in his 70s but is the pilot, Sharon says she's praying for their safe return, as are we all, as apparently is the king, because he knows uh, the Dawoods, they are on the board of the Prince's Trust. Um, so there are a lot of the great and good and a lot of the millionaires worrying about this, like Jason says, less so about refugees in the Mediterranean, but I do hope they get found and that the uh, the sounds of banging does indicate that there is there is hope still to be had. Now, speaking of long odds, we found some good news for you uh, and here it is. Now, this is another adventure tourist for you, a 50-year-old tortoise called Jemima, who escaped the back garden of her owner Beatrice's home in 2021 and was not seen again until she was spotted two miles, two years, sorry, and five miles later. Now, there was a chance to save her a bit earlier. Someone found a half a mile from home uh, and tried to take her back, left her to the nearest house, but the owner was out, left her in the garden. But she escaped twice. She escaped again. Um, and she has now been found at a riding stables five miles away from the garden she disappeared from, where she seems to have made a nice little home. She was able to hibernate and um, she was very well fed. Obviously, she stopped running when she got to the point where she found carrots. Um, now, Jason, is this proof that adventures are not always bad for your health? And no matter how long the odds, sometimes a rescue is always possible. Before I say anything, Susie, I just want to congratulate the sub-editor who came up with the headline, Turtle Recall. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Who, which one of my colleagues it was, but they, they deserve a lot of praise. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, we, we, we love, you know, animals on the run stories, don't we? And then we love them being reunited. Do, do you remember the, 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 the two pigs? The Tamworth Two. The Tamworth Two, which yes. went which were missing in the 1990s. I that think was, that was one of those great pack jobs where all the media turned up doing something ridiculous during the silly season, I think, trying to find these two <laughs> pigs that escaped the lorry on the way to the slaughterhouse, hadn't they? Yeah, but, but but Jemima, what I mean, there's a lovely line in it when, when Jemima's owner goes, they move a lot quicker than you think. She, well, she moved two miles in, what was sorry, five miles in two years. That's not brilliantly fast. No, it's not. <laughs> uh, I'm just trying to work. I'm very glad she's been reunited because um, I don't know how tortoises express elation or emotion or, you know, what do they do to, to kind of celebrate, but... <laughs> No, well, the Jemima's average speed, I think I've done this sum right, is 0 0.00028 miles per hour, which I think equates with about a foot or something, I expect. <laughs> so they don't move faster than you expect. It's just that they do tend to stop when there is a supply of fresh vegetables. Yeah. That's the thing. Uh, Lazy says it was, she was only popping to the shell station. Very good. No. No, we don't need those kind of puns. Turtle recall was bad enough, especially if <laughs> it doesn't respond to her recall. So, you know, that's been an issue. Anyway, thank you for taking us through that, uh, Jason. Thank you, everybody, for taking part. Um, good luck with everyone who's trying to raise the titan on this last day uh, of hope and optimism, trying to bring those people back. And uh, Jemima, I hope you have a nice, big, fat supply of carrots and you don't need to go out hunting for your own anymore. Uh, thank you everyone for taking part we'll see you again uh, on monday for another edition of the news agenda explained till then tatty bye <laughs> <laughs>